0: Black like men Welcome to North
1: Mom Moments. What an exciting night we have. I, I'm, I'm thrilled and honored and I almost can't believe we have such an amazing guest tonight. Maggie Hadley West, who's a filmmaker, activist, documentary maker, award-winning filmmaker and documentary maker. And with a story... That you're just not gonna believe. Um, before I get to Maggie, and I apologize for that because I know all of you are saying we just want Maggie. <laughs> I just want to give you a quick intro as to where you are and who you're listening to tonight, if you're new. For those of you, for those of you who are joining us again, welcome back. For those of you who are new, my name is Kathleen Smith. I founded Morph Mom about five, six years ago. And if you're interested in learning more about it, go to the website, morphmom.com, M-O-R-P-H-M-O-M.com. We basically connect women through stories. We have a website which shares videos of women all over the country telling what they're doing, how they did it, and hopefully connecting with those out there looking to do something similar. Uh, We have this radio show. We write for the Huffington Post. We host cocktail parties around the country, and we host conferences around the country, and we have classes. And if you're interested in any of those, and I hope you are, again, go to morphmom.com. You can learn about our classes. And they're called The Next Step. You can learn about our next conference, which is called What's Next. That's April 23rd in Morristown, New Jersey. Again, you can find out about that and how to register for that in the classes. And we're also doing a Facebook Live feature every Monday night on various speakers from the conferences and other Morph Moms just featuring stories. Again, you can go to MorphMom.com to find out all about that. But if you join us every Thursday night at this time, you'll hear from some amazing Morph Moms and other storytellers who are willing to come on and share what it is they do, how they did it, and sometimes more importantly, why they did it. So without further ado, and no more talking about myself, Maggie, it's an absolute thrill to have you here. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. And again... Oh,
2: thank you, Kathleen,
1: for having me. Oh, it's an honor. And as you will all learn, and many of you already know, Maggie, again, as I said, is not just a filmmaker, activist, documentary maker. She's award-winning at all of those things as well. And when I tell you this is just a brief version of the awards that she's won... Uh, In 2010, she was the recipient of an award at the Indie Fest, 2013, the Guggenheim Fellow Award, and 2017, the Impact Documentary Award. And again, these are just a few. In 1991, Maggie did the first sexual harassment film ever called Warzone. And most recently, her fourth film and her second documentary, which is what we'll talk about tonight, among other things, Sick to Death, has already won three global film awards and she was the recipient of the Guggenheim award to make that film. So again, Maggie, welcome, 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 and it's an honor to have you here.
2: Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. And Kathleen, just to clarify though, the the film that I made in 1991, that was War Zone, and it was the first film on sexual harassment in public.
1: Oh, in public. I'm sorry. In public, but still an incredible accomplishment. Um, so Maggie, I want to start off with, um, we're here tonight, and again, we're going to talk about Maggie's incredible journey to get here as well, which, trust me, is incredible. Um, But most recently, as we said, Maggie's film, Sick to Death. And you will learn these statistics as we talk about this tonight, and I have just learned this from what Maggie's doing as well. 750 million um, around the country will be affected with thyroid disease. And I guess the chances of that, Maggie, if I'm correct, increase with age...
2: Yes, absolutely. Anytime there's any kind of hormonal change, almost anything can happen. And women's thyroids often goes out. So it could be adolescence. It could be um, around issues with the menstrual cycle. It could be um, childbirth. You know, people that are often diagnosed with postpartum actually have thyroid. Um...
1: So, Maggie, when this began, um, and again what we said, oh Maggie, can you, I hope, can can you hear me? We might be losing, I'm having a little bit of trouble. Okay, Um, we're on a cell phone, but I, is it getting a little bit better now? No.
2: Okay,
1: Okay, okay. now it should be okay. Sorry, for those of you out there, Maggie's calling in from New Orleans, so this is an amazing thing that we have Maggie tonight. Um, Maggie, is that better now? Totally workable. Oh, perfect. We like that. <laughs> um, as we were talking about thyroid disease, because it's something close to Maggie's heart and close to her documentary, Sick to Death. So, Maggie, tell us about your, what your own battle with thyroid disease and how it led to Sick
2: to Death. Okay. Well, first of all, I didn't know I was having a battle with thyroid disease as a child, I was sick all the time, and I, that was just my norm. I got sick. Any kind of infection that went around or came around, I got. I was often on antibiotics because I was always getting upper respiratory infections, and, and I didn't think much of it because it was just my life. And then when I was about 20 or 21, I started to feel extraordinarily sick. I started to feel exhausted all the time and I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me, and I was living in one of the six most hazardous waste areas in the country in a little town in, in Texas, and that is actually when I began going from doctor to doctor to doctor because I knew something was radically wrong, but I didn't know what it was, and it wasn't until I was 32 years old and my thyroid swung into hyperactivity and I was diagnosed with what's called, disease, which is the autoimmune version of hyperthyroidism, that I even knew I had any problem with my thyroid. And once that happened, then I was told to drink radioactive iodine, it would kill my thyroid, and then I would become reliant on medication. And so I did that because I couldn't find another solution at the time and and I continued to be sick and then it took me more decades to figure out what was going on
1: so there's mentioned so you you visited hundreds of doctors during this and were they giving you like varying diagnoses like what what happened that each doctor was sort of not helping you achieve or get on the road you were supposed to get on well
2: most of the time they me that it, there was nothing wrong with me that i was fine and that all my lab tests looked good and it was i was telling doctors how i was feeling they just didn't understand and and you know to a couple of doctors credit there were a few people along the way that really were really trying to help me, but th- nobody could help me. And the thing that was interesting to me retrospectively is, I was always talking about my body temperature because that was one of the symptoms. I could my I felt feverish all the time. My body temperature would be very, very low, and then when it was um, normal by traditional medicine standards, I would feel as if I had a mm-hmm. fever. And, but I was, it, you know, my experience was denied over and over and over again, and it wasn't until I became hyperthyroid that it was like, oh, well, wow, there is something wrong with you, but there was no explaining what the 30 years prior to that had been all about.
1: So, aside from the, you know, all the health issues that you were struggling with, was there a sense of sort of a like a, a depression part of this where you're thinking, there is something wrong with me. Why can't somebody figure this out?
2: Oh, yeah. It was very emotionally debilitating because, you know, and I tell this story in the film Sick to Death, and but, you know, it was very debilitating to know that something was wrong and to be so desperate to try to figure it out. And, you know, that's when I started calling myself Dr. Maggie and having nobody listen to me because, you know, it made me feel like a hypochondriac, which is right. often what happens to women, you know, that our, our experiences are denied until they're irrefutable. And it wasn't until I was, you know, 50 that I found out that the tests that I had been given many, 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 many times for thyroid disease which is called the TSH test, actually misses 85% of people because that test only measures the thyroid hormone in your pituitary and not the thyroid hormone in the rest of your body. And you need it in every cell, every organ, and every bone in your body. And if you're not getting it, you have what appear to be all of these strange symptoms. And... As I learned in the in the process of making the movie and talking to these experts and other patients, there was there was nothing
1: When did you decide, having gone through all of this, when did you decide to to document this and to make this into a documentary?
2: Well, that's a good question because you know, about twelve years ago, one of the very first people that really caught on to what had been going on with me in my entire life was a guy by the name of Dr. John Lowe, and he was in Texas. And John said, Maggie, you should make a movie about this. And I was like, that's ridiculous. There is no way I'm going to make a movie about this, you know, because I'd already made four movies, and I wasn't going to make a fifth movie. And and plus, I didn't want to make it. That was, it was just way too intimate is how it right. felt to me. But when I realized, when I was 53 years old, and this is the story that's also told in the movie Sick to Death – when my doctor here in New Orleans, who I met on a fluke, opened this medical book, and it was literally a roadmap of experiences and symptoms I'd had my entire life, and I burst out crying, and then after that, I was just furious, because I was totally cool with it being me. Yeah. It was just me. I was on my path. I I could, you know keep it moving. But when I realized that there are millions of people just like me having similar or identical experiences, then I was really mad. And I was like, okay, here I come pharmaceuticals.
1: <laughs> so, and you'd you'd made a documentary prior to that. What was it like making the documentary but about yourself, like featuring yourself and your and really having to open up and reveal your life in that documentary?
2: God-awful. I don't suggest (laughs) it to anyone. It's a very very difficult thing to do. And all of my films had featured me in some form or another, which I was always trying to get out of. And that's actually (laughs) been my saving grace. Because if I were a narcissist, it would be an awful movie. But because I'm not and my intention is to serve, I used myself the same way. um, You know, I used myself as a vehicle. So I I think of myself as a metaphor for every woman. And so it's my experience that matters, and linking that to other people, not, you know, whiny Maggie's poor story.
1: It's incredible, your story, and how many literally— decades that it spanned what you had to go through and endure and I think it's an, and I'm sure everyone out there agrees an incredibly generous gift that you did for people out there who are just so frustrated at the end of their rope and don't know what to do or what's going on and to have someone out there saying you know what I did this I went through this I un-, to have someone understand and and give them direction and some sort of a solution or an answer that they've been searching for. Yes, you're
2: absolutely right. And that was always my imperative. And so the first thing that I did was I built a website. And the website is sick2death.com. And I I basically called together all of the information from some of the best thyroid activists and doctors in the country. And I got them on my team, and I created a resource for anybody that's looking for help. And so at the, on the website, sickthenumber2death.com, people can figure out how to test themselves. They can figure out why the tests don't necessarily work. They can figure out what tests to ask for. They can see the list of all the symptoms. They can see the trailer to the movie. They can buy the movie. They can see the medical book. That inspired the film. There are research studies there. There's an enormous amount of information and links to lots of other people's work. You know, the good doctors, good pharmacists, people that are out there really trying to help people because there's hundreds of millions of people that are really sick and suffering.
1: And I, I, I can't even imagine how in one day or just listening to you right now or going to that website after decades themselves having gone through this to just get an answer that it just me it just must be the most uh, I don't know satisfying immensely grateful like day of their lives to have someone say look I get it I've been there I've done it and here it is what are yes what were some of the symptoms um and I know there are many symptoms, and it varies with with most people. What what, what are some of the most, I guess, um, traditional symptoms, or I don't know, if traditional is the right word, but but symptoms that people should look out for?
2: No, I think that's a good way of characterizing it. Actually, there are signs and there are symptoms, and the signs are the physical signs that indicate that somebody might have a thyroid problem. And for instance, my hair is very fine; it's very thin. My eyebrows don't grow in the outer third of my eyebrows. My palms have a yellowish cast to them. I have circulation problems. I'm, um, I have a tendency to um, be heavier than I would like to be, regardless of the fact that I eat clean and I exercise. Mm-hmm. And those are very typical signs. There's um, People are often kind of puffy, puffy-looking. And and then there are the physical symptoms, and some of the classic symptoms are cold hands, cold feet, and this is hypothyroidism, and um, uh, low blood pressure, um, low body temperature, exhaustion, brain fog. Brain fog is for me, and for many many people, is one of the most egregious symptoms. In the medical book that um, inspired the film, one of the things that just made me absolutely crazy was one of the symptoms of thyroid disease is a lack of resistance to upper respiratory infections. And, you know, in my early childhood, that was the story of my life. Mm -hmm. And I also was told by the time I was six that I had scoliosis. Any kind of bone deformation is an indication you're not getting enough thyroid hormone in your bones. And so there were all of these very overt, obvious clues that I, had I been diagnosed when I was a child and gotten thyroid hormone, it probably would have never become hyperthyroidism. I didn't, wouldn't necessarily have gone into the autoimmune version of things and I wouldn't have spent 50 years trying to figure out what was going on in my um, little body.
1: It's it's so crazy what happened in that this you know and it's terrible that the, it, the journey took this long but it's it's almost like there's a reason it happened to you because you're the one who could tell this story you were the one who had the ability and the talent and the know how to get this out to people and again I don't know who out there is not as grateful as as I am right now just to hear this and to learn about this. And, and as Thank I said, you,
2: I, I really appreciate that and the, the really funny thing about that though, Kathleen Is I thought, this is going to be the most boring movie I ever <laughs> make Nobody's going to be interested in this And I, I mean, I thought nobody was going to be interested in it But I was so mad, I had to make the movie yeah. and, and what I have come to understand is You literally cannot swing a cat Without hitting somebody that is either undiagnosed, diagnosed, or under-treated. Mm -hmm. And it is just unbelievable how many people are ill. And it's a combination of, it's not just genetics. You know, my mother, my brother, um, probably my father had it. But it's also that we, we don't have iodine in our food supply the way that we used to. And iodine nourishes your thyroid, we used to get it in bread, and now what's in bread is bromine, and bromine actually stops your thyroid from properly functioning. Or those, you know, crazy squishy water bottles we have, you know, that's synthetic estrogens that are leaching into the water and that inhibits our thyroid functions. And there are many, many, you know, the fire retardants. There's so many things in the environment that are... Um, making things more complicated for people for men and women
1: is this something that occurs more more commonly in women versus men or is it it has nothing to do with with that
2: I think what it is is women are more symptomatic. Okay. You know, one a number of the doctors in my almost all the male doctors in my film are hypothyroid by the way. Mm-hmm. And but when I did an open call for thyroid patients, it was almost all women that showed up. And because women are they feel the effects of thyroid disease, disease more because because we have fewer thyroid receptors. This is something that I always get confused. Um, But it's different between men and women. Mm -hmm. But one of the doctors in my film said, whenever there is a man who is depressed, his thyroid is not working properly. And there's a research study on the website called the Star Report, and that study indicates that the natural desiccated thyroid, which is the natural thyroid hormone, that most patients are denied um, is actually more effective. T3 is more effective in treating thyroid disease and antidepressants.
1: Wow, who knew that it spans so? It's, it's
2: such treating a broad, depression. I'm sorry, it's treating
1: depression, yeah. but that it spans such a broad, you know, it's such a broad landscape of, of things that it covers of the symptoms and the signs. I want to step back just a little bit. And as I mentioned before, Maggie, is a filmmaker and documentary maker and activist. And, and Maggie, can you tell us a little bit about your journey, how you got into this in the first place, just filmmaking in general?
2: Well, I have always been an activist by impulse. So for as long as I can remember, I was championing you know people that were voiceless, essentially. And when I was in graduate school for fine art in New York City at School of the Visual Arts, I went to a yard sale one day and I picked up a Super 8 um, camera and and I thought I was just going to make little art films. And then I woke up one morning and I thought, oh, my God, I have a weapon. So men that were sexually aggressive towards me in public, I could turn my camera on them. And what I didn't actually have in height and girth, I now had in camera. So it, it was the equalizer for me. And so filmmaking for me has always only been about activism. And it is a great medium, particularly now because, you know, people are less and less inclined to read, unfortunately. So it's a great way to talk about something and, um, and to get it shared.
1: So this wasn't something that you always sort of knew you'd go into, this sort of developed, would you say, once you were here in New York, or was it something even when you were younger, you sort of had in the back of your mind?
2: Well, it's funny. A a friend of mine reminded me in high school that I set out one day with her to um, document her as a character wandering around the streets. And this was (laughs) in the 70s in Minneapolis. And in the process, I ran into a pimp. And I was like 16, and I was like, wow, this is this pimp is way more interesting than my girlfriend in her little outfit. <laughs> and I remember saying to him, oh, you don't have anything to worry about. I'm just a little high school student. But I then forgot about it for years and years. And then my second film, which is called Player Hating a Love Story, it's about racism and poverty, and in that film, I spend an enormous amount of time with a, a young hip-hop artist from Brooklyn, and, um, and that, is, that movie is, you know, I say Warzone is my rage, Player Hating is my heart, and <laughs> Sick to Death, I'm Back to My Rage. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and for those out there, of course, I know everybody wants to see everything you've done. How can they find, or what's the best way to find the other, your other works?
2: well anybody that wants to find anything about me can find it at yo maggie dot com y o maggie dot com m a g g i e and so it's y o m a g g i e dot com and the information the link to sick to death is there the movie is there the everything is there player hatings there war zones there some short films i've made are there and then if anybody wants specifically um to know more about thyroid disease how to help themselves sick to sick to death is sick the number 2 com, and that is that website is just full of information yo know, maggie is a lot simpler
1: <laughs> when now in doing all of this film that you've done and covering all these different arenas what would you say, and I don't know if you even have an, you know, there's a ready answer for this, but what was one of the most difficult things that you had to do? And again, spanning across your career, was there one thing that you were like, wow, this was one of the hardest things that I've had to do in creating this movie or in overcoming or, or maybe something, a person you encountered that it was really difficult to relay that on the, on the film? I don't know if there's an easy answer to that. I was just curious.
2: Well, there, there are a few easy answers to it, actually. When I was making player hating, I was talking about um, violence and poverty and death, and I always knew that going in. I didn't know, you know, how real it was actually going to get. And at one point, I broke into St. Vincent's Hospital with a camera crew and interviewed a guy who had just been carjacked. And he had been shot five times, and I didn't know. He didn't know if he was going to survive. And but he knew about me. He knew what I was doing, and he knew I was on his side. And he let me interview him. Yeah. And it was it was breathtaking. It was the most terrifying thing I have ever done. It was so scary. I'd never seen anybody that was shot. And um, and then I, you know, I went back to visit him quite a few times after that without the crew and he was like he couldn't believe that I I would do that and I couldn't believe I couldn't believe that he wouldn't know that people that that's just what you do yeah. and that was a very complicated thing and then you know mm-hmm. Sick to Death is definitely the hardest movie I've ever had to make because you know I've I've often said I would have rather made a porno <laughs> because it was <laughs> It would have been easier, and let me tell you, that would be a nightmare. Uh, But just, but just exposing myself uh, as it was like opening up my, you know, my entrails and saying, "Come on into my immune system." I know I look okay, but I'm really not. Was just so difficult, and trying to, and telling movie out of something that is, you know, material that's very dry you know it took me 20 months to edit this movie and that's 60 hour weeks sometimes wow. working with three editors full-time I mean it was brutal I've never been so sick of myself <laughs> ever
1: um I've, I was actually going to ask you that so when you were editing sick to death did you edit so you're editing yourself but you had others there was there a time when either you felt strongly about keeping something in and they didn't or maybe they felt strongly about keeping something in and you were like no no
2: all the time i'm in charge <laughs> yeah that's the bottom line with my films nobody has any kind of creative control over my films they have creative input right and i don't think it's a wise decision to do everything yourself and i didn't i had at least 10 focus groups um in the process of um the edit Because it's important to know that what you're trying to do is getting across. And there were always, I mean, if I had had my way, I would have made it a lot funnier. But the truth is, you know, I'm talking about something really serious. So I had to, I had to walk a fine line where, you know, yes, it's definitely funny and I want people to laugh, but it's not funny the whole way. So, which is really what I would have done, because that would have been a better way for me to hide.
1: Right. Right. Which that just has to be, as I even think about it, like exposing yourself like that. I give you such credit. And again, it was, I think, one of the most generous, selfless things you could have done for everybody out there. But I just can't imagine how difficult that had to be. And I just, I I give you so much credit for doing that.
2: Thank you. I I really appreciate that. And it really is hard. And I'm actually not kidding when I say I don't advise that other people do it. Because it is so hard, and you have to really stay a very specific course, you know making making a film period, making a documentary is you know it is a huge commitment i mean i'm on I'm on six years already with sick to death, mm. and I had lots of people waiting in the wings for the movie that didn't know anything about filmmaking, and they they just thought you know some of those people actually thought I was a liar.
1: And that, you
2: know, that I wasn't wasn't actually doing the work, you know. So I was trying to (laughs) teach filmmaking 101 on Facebook as I went. And, you know, most people were very, very generous. But, you know, sometimes people are like, what is going on? Why does this take so?" And I understand (laughs) that because there's so much film out in the world.
1: Well, not to mention that when you were making Sick to Death, you actually were (laughs) sick to death. You probably weren't feeling well a good portion of it, Right.
2: Yeah, yes, and you know, and it actually made me a lot sicker, and I, that was not, I mean, I knew that was a risk, because, you know, films are very, very stressful, they're very expensive, there's an enormous amount of pressure, and so I, I knew that it was a risk, I knew that there was a very good chance that it was not going to make me better, but I didn't really know how bad it would get, and it's still, and I'm still... Uh, you know, and I'm still recovering from it. And I really don't mean to be, you know, woe is me. But it is—it's a—it's a tough thing to do for the most stalwart and healthiest of people. And I get—in that- fact, only one percent of films get made, by the way. Really? Yeah, that includes scripts. But yeah, very, most films don't get made because it's just such a difficult, long, and really committed process.
1: I guess that leads to the most important question right now: Is how are you feeling now?
2: I am feeling better. Thank you. I'm God. definitely feeling better. Yes, I'm. I am. I put myself into some kind of a spiral, and I'm next week. I'm actually going to the Ukraine to do um, kind of a medical experiment on myself. I'll be happy to report back later.
1: Oh, I would love, I would love for that. And, and hoping and praying it all goes completely well. And and I would love Thank to you. share it if, you. if you want to when it, when you're done. And I'm sure it will go well. Um, and I'm sorry, I just realized I kept you over a little bit, Maggie, but I could talk to you forever. I'm so sorry.
2: Oh, um, it's been really awesome, Kathleen. And I hope people will come see the movie and it's at six, the number two death.com. And been great being on your show and I really appreciate your generous spirit.
1: Oh, but when we talk about generosity, I mean, Maggie and everyone out there, again, Maggie Hadley-West, I think, clearly not only incredibly talented, as we discussed before, award-winning, everything that she does, and incredibly bright and talented and kind, but I think generous and would be one of the first things that would come to mind. What, what Maggie shared in Sick to Death and her own journey going through this, purely to help other people come to terms with it and understand that they're not alone and what the the things they were feeling were true and were happening. And there was, there was a way there was an an end. There was a way to find a cure or or maybe not a cure, but at least a treatment. And I just think what you did is so generous as I mentioned, but um, something that needs to be shared. And I think that we all need to go see this movie and need to tell everybody else out there to go see it because maybe it's not somebody out there. This would benefit anyone who's, you know, undergoing a similar thing with a thyroid. But I think anyone out there undergoing something that other people don't understand and they feel like they're struggling alone with this, I would think the movie Sick to Death would help them with that as well.
2: No, you're absolutely right. It is um, not just through my example, but through the other people in the film and the doctors. It's really a roadmap of self-advocacy. And, you know, medicine is not the way that it used to be you know we do not have people that are looking out for us anymore and so we have to be our own best advocates and we have to be educated mm-hmm. and we have to be firm in our conviction about what we know about our bodies because we cannot rely on doctors
1: yeah and i think we like you just said relying on others who have who've gone through something similar is the, is this yes. connection, and you have begun that connection, and I just thank yes, you, and absolutely. I thank you,
2: thank you so much, Kathleen.
1: So, Maggie, it was an absolute joy to have you on and again. I'm sorry I kept you over, but it's selfish because I didn't want you to go. I, <laughs> no, I admit that. that. Thank <laughs> you. But before you go again, Maggie, will you just repeat for those out there um, how they can find out more about you and your other work? You can
2: find me and my work at Sick. The number two, death.com. That's everything about Sick to Death and the film and all kinds of medical help. And then anything else anybody might ever want to know about my work is at yomaggie.com Yo, Maggie.com. That's me.
1: And I, I'm i hoping that Maggie's trip to the Ukraine is incredibly successful and that we will either way how anything goes on. I'd love to have Maggie back on again. And everyone, I just want to remind you that um, this the radio show tonight will be up on an iTunes podcast. And if you want to get the link to hear about it again, go to m o r p h m o m M-O-R-P-H-M-O-M.com. And hopefully by tomorrow, if I have my act together, Maggie, I'll have the link up for the podcast And you can listen to it again. Thank you so much. (laughs) And thanks to your listeners. I will try. And again, just a quick reminder, April 23rd is our Morph Mom Conference in Morristown, New Jersey at the Morris Museum. You can sign up online. Our class is the next step. All the information is out there. That next class will be April 12th. And on Monday, we have a really fun Morph Mom Facebook Live interview going on. Go there again. And again, Maggie, thank you so much for tonight. Everyone out there, thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week. Good night, everyone.